0: I think Brookland Baptist would be proud of you. You did, a, you did a good job. Well, today we're going to continue our series in basic Christian doctrines. We have been going through this for some weeks now, it began with the Bible, what do we believe about the Bible, God, Satan, the nature of man, salvation, and so forth. We're going to conclude with two messages on finance. Now, the reason for that is because I believe there is no doctrine in which we more tangibly see the evidence of God, the provision of God, than in this particular area. So today we're going to look at the doctrine of stewardship. The last Sunday of the month, we're going to look at the doctrine of the tithe. To be honest with you, I am somewhat excited about these two messages, and this is the reason. We're not pledging the budget. We're not not pledging to a building. We're simply looking at this as a doctrine. What does God have to say? What does the Bible say in the area of finance? Now, when Linda and I went through this almost 50 years ago, And we sought the Lord. God, what is it that you want us to do? What are we supposed to do as followers of Christ concerning our finances? When we made our commitment, I wrote it in my Bible. And I I dated it and put the amount of my tithe. And that has stood for me as a constant reminder of my commitment and God's provision. So, in light of that, on the last Sunday, when we deal with it in the last Sunday of the, of the month in the doctrine of tithing, we're going to give you a little card. Steve says that it's a nice piece of parchment, but a little card where you write your name, you date it, you put the amount of your tithe, and then you put it in your Bible, you put it somewhere because it is a reminder for you. Not coming to the church because this has nothing to do with any program that we are doing or the budget. It is simply for you to consider what is God telling you? What does he say in this area? We're going to begin today with the doctrine of stewardship because what you believe about stewardship will determine your response when we get to the doctrine of tithing. So take your Bibles, turn with me. To the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, beginning in verse number 1. Now, he was also saying to the disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And the steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And the steward said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the stewardship away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measure of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, Make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, or else he will hold to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This parable speaks about stewardship. In verse number 2, it says, give an account of your stewardship. Now, to be honest, this is a confusing parable to me because the subject, the steward, is dishonest the word steward comes from two Greek words. It is the word oikos, which means house, and nomos, which means to arrange. So it speaks then of being a manager of something that belongs to someone else. So when we are talking about stewardship, we are speaking about managing something that is not ours. It belongs to someone else. So, In the story, we see a steward who has been dishonest. He is discovered, and he loses his job. So he comes up with a plan as to how he is going to go forward when he no longer has a job. Here's his dilemma in verse number 3. The steward said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the stewardship away from me, I am not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. So here is the steward knowing that he is losing his position. He said, what am I going to do? I'm not going to do manual labor. He said, I am too weak to dig. And I have too much pride to beg. So what am I going to do? We see his plan in verse number 4. I know what I shall do. So that when I am removed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their homes. So what he decided was, I am going to settle my master's debts. He is still the manager at this point. I am going to settle my master's debts. And so he went to one person and said, how much do you owe my master? He said, well, I owe $100. He said, I'll tell you what you do. Write down 50 and then he went to another and said, how much do you owe? He said, I owe $75. He said, write down 25 So the idea was that I am going to lower what they owe so that when I no longer have a job, they're going to have to reciprocate. I'm going to be nice to them because I am the manager. And when I no longer have a job, then they're going to be nice to me. And you know the confusing part of the parable Is that the master praised him. Look at verse number 8. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. The word shrewdly means prudent, practical, wise. So the Bible says that the master praised him. One commentator I read said that he was not praised for his dishonesty. He was praised for his resourcefulness. Now, to be honest with you, I'm not sure I totally understand this parable. That seems strange to me. That here is a man who is taking advantage of, of the person he works for and the person he works for praises him. He says, you know, that's a sharp guy. I mean, he, he, he is, he's a sharp guy. I don't totally understand that, but I do believe that there are some things we can learn about stewardship from this steward. First of all... We learn that what we believe about stewardship determines our actions. What you believe about stewardship determines your actions. Look at verse number 10. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Ladies and gentlemen, as a steward of God, it is the belief that little can become much. I can give you a lot of examples about that. I'll give you uh, maybe three. But when I don't, I don't know if you saw the ESPN documentary about Coach Spurrier called The Believer. It was a good documentary. I, I, I was very impressed with it. But the the, the documentary was that he has, when he came to South Carolina, he came to a team that had not had a lot of success, but it was his belief that the little could become much. Now, he might be having a more difficult time believing that today than he was Friday, but nevertheless, it is that belief. and I'm honestly not worried about it because I think that Coach Spurrier is a winner and I think, that, I think that it will happen under him. I really believe that. But it is that idea that a little can become much. The steward of God is someone who believes that the little can become much. For instance, there is the story of, the, of Jesus. A multitude had gathered around him. They were hungry and Jesus said to the disciples, Now you need to go and find them something to eat. And so in John chapter 6, verse number 9, it says, well, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these among so many? So the disciples then began to go through the crowd to see if there was anyone there who had anything. They found this one little boy who had brought his lunch with him. He had a couple of fish and some bread, and they said, Jesus, we found this. It's not that much with all these people. I don't know what you're going to do with it. But Jesus used the lad's lunch to feed the thousands. And then the Bible says that there were 12 baskets of leftovers that they took up. So, the little became much. I'll give you another example. There's a story in the Old Testament about Elisha going to the home of a widow. And uh, he asked the widow for something to eat. She didn't have much in 2 Kings 4.2. Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. She didn't have much. But she decided that, okay, I will give it to the prophet. I'll give it to Elisha. And Elisha said to her, now I want you to go to your neighbors and borrow vessels. You don't have enough in your house. Go and borrow vessels. And she did. And then she began to pour the oil, and the oil filled all the vessels and did not stay until the last vessel was filled. The little became much. My friend, what I want you to understand in part today is that uh, the, the little can become much for you. Because I know sometimes we assess ourselves and say, I don't have that much. And so we do nothing with it. For instance, concerning spiritual gifts. I believe very strongly that spiritual gifts are important. But some of you would look at, look at your gifts and you say, man, I, you know, I sort of got left out on that deal. I mean, I listen to Trudy sing and I, I can't do that. And Steve and various people and say, oh, I just don't have those. I, I just, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a foot in the, in the body. That's all someone else says, a foot, man, I wish I were a foot, I'm just a big toe. And someone else said, a big toe, I wish I were that, I'm just a little toe. I mean, I I just don't, but here's the thing, that as we all put our gifts together, the body is complete. See, whether it's a big toe, little toe, foot, ear, whatever it is, when we all put our gifts together, then the body is complete. And what happens? The little becomes much you, you may look at your finances and, and reach the same conclusion well I, I don't have much I mean what am I it's, it's not going to matter the little bit that I have I just don't have much but when we all do our part you know what happens we send missionaries around the world and we literally do we built this building. Do you think there's anyone here who could have built this building by themselves? No. We're able to build buildings by the why, reconfigure the why, do those things that we're doing. Because when we all do our part, what? The little becomes much. Ministry. We look at the world today and conclude, what am I going to do? The world is falling apart. There's nothing that I can do. I'm not going to make an impact on the world today, but then I'm reminded when my son Eric and daughter-in-law Emily started Village Church, there were the two of them, and now then they have around 800 to 900 in attendance. They started a satellite branch, and the little became much, but here's the catch. The little has to be invested for it to become much. The lad's lunch, it was just a lunch. A couple of fish, some bread. It was just a lunch until it was invested, then it became much. The widow's oil, it was just a jar of oil until it was given, and then it became much. You see, what we have can become much when we entrust it to God. I, I know that this is uncomfortable for some of you. I hope it isn't because we're not going to put any pressure on you about it. It isn't uncomfortable for me because it was a lesson that my dad taught me when I was a little boy. And I still remember that conversation. My dad's been with the Lord for a long time now, but I still remember the conversation. When he said to me, Wendell, it is better to have the 90% with God's blessings than to have the 100% without his blessings. What we have can become much when we give it to God. The first church that I pastored was in First Baptist Church of Pawhuska, Oklahoma. Anybody been there? I see a hand back there. It's it's a town of about 5,000 people, just a very small town. When I went there, the church ran a little over 100 in attendance, and so it's just a small church. I got to thinking, what in the world am I doing here? I mean, I have the potential to be a big-time pastor. I have the potential to pastor at First Baptist Columbia. What am I doing here? J.T. Roberts came to see me. J.T. was uh, an employee at the Baptist building. He came to see me to ask how I was doing. And so naively I said to him, J.T., you know, I think I have more potential than this. He said to me, and I wrote it down when he left, Wendell. Be faithful where you are. If God can trust you with little, he can bless you with much. What we believe determines what we do. Secondly, stewardship accurately reflects our faith. How do you respond to your resources? The resources that you have, how do you respond to them? Well, some people say, well, I enjoy them. Well, you should. You know, I don't know, we we have the attitude sometimes that if someone has any money that there's something wicked about that. The Bible does not say that money is not inherently wrong at all. The Bible says it's the love of money that's wrong. I, I had an uncle who had money. He loved it. He loved to count it. He never did anything with it. He just loved to have it and count it. Money is a tool to be invested. That's all that it is. It is nothing more than that. It is a tool to be invested. I read the story about a man who had given a large sum of money to his church. They were building a new building, and he gave a large sum of money to it. The Great Depression came. He lost everything, and now he's broke. A friend of his was talking to him, and he said, Aren't you sorry now that you gave all that money to the church? And he said, Absolutely not. That's the only thing I have left. It it is the investment that we make in the things of God that have eternal value. And the use of our resources then reflect our hearts. I used to say that if a a man gets his heart right with God, then his pocketbook gets right with God. You know, get his heart, get his, and then you get the, the, the resources. I said that one time to a pastor who was older and wiser than I, and he said, it's not what the Bible says. I said, what do you mean? He said, the Bible says where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be. Say we reverse it. We think that if I get a person's heart, then I'll get the treasure. No, where his treasure is, that is where his heart is. And so Jesus speaks of that here in this passage of Scripture in verses 19 through 31. He tells of a rich man, and it says that he fared sumptuously every day. He ate the finest food. He wore the nicest clothes. He did all those things. But he neglected the things of God because that's not where his heart was. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth of the matter is the use of your resources reflects your heart. You want to know what you love? How do you spend your money? Probably most of you saw the film some years ago, Schindler's List. It was a film about Oskar Schindler, a wealthy German industrialist, who saved more than 1,200 Jews from extermination by paying German officers to allow those Jews to work in his factory rather than to be sent to Auschwitz. After the war ended, He is, if you recall the movie when the war ended, he is looking at those Jews that he had saved and he begins to weep. He said, I could have bought more. If only I had more money, I could have bought more if I just hadn't wasted so much. You see, the truth is the way we spend our money is a reflection of our heart. And it's a statement of the depth of our faith. What should our money say? Whenever we look at the way we use our finances, what should it say? I think that if you're a believer... Now, if you're not a believer, this does not apply to you. If you are, then I think that it does. How should you look at it if you are a believer? Well, the way that you use your resources should say that God is the owner of everything. Well, if God is the owner of everything, it means Satan doesn't own anything. Now, sometimes we get to thinking Satan owns it all. I... I read that recently that Americans spend $80 billion annually on illegal drugs, $16 billion on pornography, gambles more than $34 billion on state lotteries. So sometimes we get to thinking Satan has it all. Satan doesn't own anything. Man doesn't own anything. He said, well, you haven't been talking to Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. Or some of those guys, because it looks like they own a lot. In fact, I hear people sometimes talk about my money. Well, it's my money. Well, according to the Scriptures, God's. The Bible says in Job 41, 11, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. So I think our finances should reflect our belief that God is the owner and we are, we're the stewards. It's God's, we're the stewards. We're the manager of that that belongs to God. Tom Elliff was the president of the International Mission Board. He just recently announced his retirement. I've known Tom for a long time. But he, he emphasized that to his family, that God owns everything. And so one day his little girl at that time, his, his daughter, she said, Daddy, you said that God owns everything? He said, Yes, dear, that's right. She said, Does that mean that God owns our car? He said, Yes, God owns the car. She said, Well, if it's God's, don't you think we ought to keep it cleaner? <laughs> See, the use of our resources should be that we understand God is the owner and we are the stewards. The earth is the Lord's. Therefore, we should be good stewards of it. The gospel is a treasure that has been entrusted to us. Therefore, we should uh, present it as true. The possessions we have actually belong to God and we are simply managers of them. Stewardship comes with consequences. In verse number 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, else he will hold to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We are stewards of that that belongs to God. Would you agree with that? Now, I don't want you to answer because it's an issue of the heart. We are stewards of that that belongs to God. Now, that means then that my life, that I am a steward of it, that it belongs to God. That my life belongs to God. You see, I I committed to that idea when I became a Christian, when I committed my life to Jesus Christ, that my life belongs to Him. And then as time went by, then I began to run things myself. And then there came that time in my life when I had to relook at things and sort of make a new commitment that my life belongs to the Lord. And it was then, I was working in television at that time, and it was then that God spoke to my heart about preaching. And if God... Owns my life, and I'm a steward of it. Then, he has the right to tell me what to do, does he not? If God is the owner of my life, and he says to me, Wendell, I want you to preach. If he's the owner and I'm the steward then my only response can be, okay, if that's what you want me to do. I believe the opportunities that you have are opportunities that God has given to you. Therefore, you are a steward of the opportunities that you have. And I wonder sometimes if more opportunities would be ours if we were faithful with the opportunities that he has given to us. The resources we have are his, and we are stewards of that that belongs to him. Stewardship has consequences. I was reading in my devotional time this morning in Galatians where Paul wrote, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he also reaps. Isn't that true? Be not deceived, God is not mocked. We reap what we sow. There are consequences. Therefore, there's accountability, and that's the reason in verse number 2, he called and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship. Ladies and gentlemen, God is the owner. Whatever you think about that, that's true. God is the owner. And you and I are stewards. That's it. We are stewards. George Truett, pastor of many years First Baptist Dallas. He was preaching a revival in West Texas. They have large ranches out there. And Dr. Truett was preaching in a service that night and and uh, he made the statement in his message that God was the owner of everything. There was a rancher who owned a, a lot of land, large ranch, who heard it. He came up to Dr. Truett after the service was over, and he said, I want to come by and pick you up tomorrow. He said, I want to show you something. He said, all right. So the next morning, he came over and picked him up, and he drove him out to his ranch. He took him out in the middle of it, and he said, I want you to get out of the car. Dr. Truett and he got out of the car. As they got out, Dr., or the, the, man said, the, the rancher said to Dr. Truett, he said, I want you to look to the north. He looked to the north. He said, as far as you can see, I own it all. He said, I want you to look to the east. He turned to the east and he looked. He said, as far as you can see, I own it all. He said, I want you to look to the south. He looked to the south and he said, as far as you can see, I own it all. And he said, turn to the west. He turned to the west and he says, I own it all, as far as you can see. Dr. Twitt said, I'll tell you what. Why don't we come back in a hundred years and see who owns it? Folks, you own nothing. I own nothing. Therefore, we should hold it loosely in our hand because it belongs to God. And we are stewards of that that belongs to God. Now, this opportunity that you have, because we're about to do an invitation, extend an invitation. It is an opportunity for you. And you're a steward of this moment. You're a steward of this opportunity. If you have never, never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you have an opportunity to do that. If you're looking for a church home, you want to identify with this church, we'd love to have you. But you have an opportunity. You are a steward of this moment. You are a steward of this moment. Now, what will you do with it? I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please, as we stand together. We will pray, and then we will extend an invitation. Our gracious Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the opportunity that is ours. I pray for those who have never trusted Jesus, that today they would be good stewards of the opportunity to receive him. I pray, Heavenly Father, for those who need to make other commitments, that they would be good stewards of the opportunity that is theirs. Bless this time. May you be honored as the Lord of all. In Jesus' name, amen. As the choir sings, why don't you come to trust Jesus, to join the church, whatever God's leading you to do, you come. I'll greet you as you do.